the last few weeks, we've taken a look at Jesus' defense of the fact that he worked on the Sabbath and claimed equality with God. There were those who wanted to kill him for those two facts. After presenting that defense, Jesus does something uh, unique in our standard. Usually we say, don't you believe me? Jesus says, if I only tell you about me, then there's no reason for you necessarily to believe me because under the uh, scriptural requirements to prove anything, you had to have at least two or three witnesses. Jesus is going to present several witnesses that will verify his claim of equality with God. He's also going to turn it around and say that if they don't accept certain witnesses, those witnesses will turn around and accuse them. Come and see who these witnesses are and what the accusation might be. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5, starting with verse 31. This is now going to be the fourth message I brought from this chapter. Because I believe the contents of this chapter is important for us to go through piece by piece. Uh, but I'm going to confess something with you this morning in the sense of the first two-thirds or so of, of my message is going to be typical of my style and approach of, of teaching. The last third of it, I'm going to venture into preaching and meddling. So you're uh, fair warned about that. So hopefully if you have your Bibles, and as I say, you ought to, uh, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus has been, as we've taken a look, defended himself against opposition who wanted to kill him for working on the Sabbath and for claiming equality with God. And he's been, and we've taken a couple of weeks now, taken a look at those defenses that he has the authority and the power to do these things, and therefore he is equal with God. Now, if for you and me, or many other people who try to convince you that they're speaking the truth, they'll say things like, I swear on a stack of Bibles, or I swear on my mother's grave. And a lot of people will swear on their mother's grave, even though their mother hasn't died yet. So that kind of tips you off that they're not really telling the truth. But Jesus, who speaks the truth and who is truth, notice he doesn't say that. See what he says. He goes, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. A strange statement. But the reason Jesus says this statement is because under the Levitical law that Jesus wrote, it says that every matter will be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if you only have one witness, they're not saying that it's not necessarily true. They're saying you've not convinced us. That you, you lose your case. You lose the matter. You need to at least have two or three witnesses. And that's why many uh, years from now when we get to that point, um, the trial against Jesus falls apart because they can't get two people to agree on anything. So in order to save that situation, Jesus has to confess it himself. And so Jesus is saying, under the law, 
if the only person who testifies as to who I am is me, then you don't necessarily have to believe it or confirm it because it's only me. But Jesus is going to call several other witnesses on his behalf. He goes, there is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. This person is not the person that Jesus is going to talk about next. He's referring to God himself. He's saying that there is another who testifies of me, and that testimony which he gives about me is true. All you have to do is go back a couple of chapters in this gospel, and you will hear the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God testifies. Later in this gospel, the Father is going to meet with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, and they're talking, and Peter is so impressed. He goes, hey, why don't we build three temples? One to Moses, one to Elijah, and one to you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, the other two, and he goes, this is my son, listen to him. There is no equal. And so the Father will, throughout Jesus' ministry, testify to who he is. But Jesus says, but I'm giving you just that as a sample. He says, you being the Father, have sent to, sent to John, and he has testified of the truth. So he's saying, John, who we call the Baptist, who I've called the testifier, because he's come to testify that he wasn't the Messiah, that Jesus is, and that he was confirmed that when the Spirit descended on him when he baptized. So John has testified to the world and to the disciples and even his disciples that is, Jesus is the Son of God. But the testimony of which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. So he's going, I'm giving you a number of different areas that you might understand the testimony. And so Jesus is saying, I don't need the testimony of men, but I gave you one. But I'm going to give you much better testimony. So in essence, what Jesus is doing is like a competent lawyer. He, he brings a series of witnesses. Each witness is stronger than the last one. So that you're left with the impression when it's time to decide that, that there was a strong case here and that I believe the witnesses and they knew what they were talking about. So he says, so that you might be saved. And he was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. They said, you initially liked John the Baptist. He was preaching and people were coming to him and you even were trying to get baptized yourself until he shifted his emphasis and pointed to me. While he was talking about his ministry, it was fine. When he started pointing to Jesus, people started to fade. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. So he's going to bring another witness. For the works which the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus, all you got to look to see what I've done. 
I perform miracles like turning water into wine. I've healed the sick and the lame, and I've done many other things. He's going to, in the future, um, he even healed a noble man's son from a distance. He's going to do other miracles and healings. He's also going to do things like raise the dead and raise himself from the dead. He's saying, all of these works that I do testify exactly who I am. And one of the things is, is that when Jesus heals the deaf, that's a game changer. Because no one ever did that before. And so Jesus is saying, you don't have to accept my testimony alone. Look at what I'm doing. And the works that I do testify that the Father sent me. Notice Jesus keeps going after and after. Not that you just believe me, but that you believe the Father sent me. It's a package deal. And the Father who sent me, he has to testify to me, you have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. He's going, John heard it, I heard it, others heard it, but you didn't because you don't know him. And he's going to say, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent me. Again, we keep thinking that, well, there's the father and there's the son. Jesus is saying, you don't get the father without the son. It's, it's a unit. You don't believe the son, you don't believe the father. You believe the father, you believe the son. So Jesus is saying, the father again has testified. So he says, the father testified. I've testified, the Father's testified, John has testified, now I bring up the Father again, I testify about my works, all of these testify of who I am, and then he's going to bring another witness. You search the scriptures because you think, because, because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify of me. He's saying, you look at the Old Testament, you look at the scriptures, and you keep thinking that you're going to find that magic little verse that is going to cause you to be saved, to be knowing that you're saved. And you keep searching that, thinking that you're going to find in the scriptures life. And Jesus says, when you search the scriptures, you're going to find me. Because the scriptures testify of me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. They search the scriptures because they want to have life. The scriptures testify of Jesus, but they refuse to come to him. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. He goes, I do not receive glory from men. I'm not here to get your approval. I'm not here for you to say, oh, what a wonderful teacher. What a wonderful rabbi. Doesn't he do wonderful miracles and, and, and healings and all of these things? Because I'm not seeking your glory. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourself. Boom. He's just said, you search the scriptures. And what do the scriptures tell us? That we're to love our, the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. 
And the second one is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus goes, you don't even get the very basic. Because in the basic, it says you're to love God and you don't. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now, some commentators will say what he's talking about here is the Antichrist. He could be. I think he's talking about anybody who shows up talking about how wonderful they are. And to tickle your ears with nice words of encouragement that you're so special that it, how God existed in eternity past before you were born. You're just so And people want to hear that. And so when people come in the name of philosophy and psychiatry and sociology, people will hear that because that's what they want to hear. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only he said, you're not interested in the glory of God. You're only interested in the praise of one another. And unfortunately, so many pastors, and that's, I guess, one of the, the reasons why God puts me where God puts me is because I guess my ego could really jump out and whatever. But there are a lot of pastors who just think that their great church is their great church because they're such a wonderful guy and a great leader and that. They went from X number 100 to X number 1,000, and they went to the new church, and they had a building program, and God is so lucky to have them. And everybody says, boy, let's buy his book because he's a great person. Rather than saying, I've only done what God told me to do, glorify him. Jesus says, I've come to glorify the Father. Don't come for your glory. I come to glorify the Father, the one and only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. See, that's not Jesus' role. Jesus' role, when we become his followers, his disciples, he is our advocate. He's the one who says, my blood paid it for. The accuser is Satan, but there's going to be another accuser. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. If Moses said it, it must be true. Moses was the lawgiver. Ain't wrong. God was the lawgiver. Moses just simply was the deliverer. He brought the tablets down. He didn't write them. But they always want to praise men and women rather than give glory to God. So he goes, you think by searching the scriptures that you're going to find life. And as you search the scriptures and you come to the day of judgment, Moses is going to be there and go, you guys blew it. Because I wrote about him. You know, in Deuteronomy, when I talked about the prophet, that was him. And when I said, you're supposed to love the Lord your God, he showed you how to do it. When, he's, when I wrote, you're to love one another as I have loved you, not only did he do that, he said we're to love one another as he loved us. Moses was pointing to him. 
For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. A real quick break. So many churches who are quote-unquote New Testament churches. We are a old Bible church. Because the Old Testament talks about Jesus. And the New Testament talks about Jesus. And what I want to do is talk about Jesus. So we talk about the whole scripture. Because it talks about Jesus. It talks about how we are to live in accordance with God's will and plan for our lives. You don't really understand Jesus if you only read the New Testament. You see the depth and the quality of who he is. When you read passages like Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 and Isaiah 53 and all those other passages, you see the depths of who he is. And you see things like the kinsman redeemer and you see things like Joseph and all these other things that were a type of Christ. You miss out when you don't fully read the scriptures. Now he accuses the people that are standing there that they search the scriptures. I wish believers did that. All too often we wait for the pastor to show up, give a you know 30 minute sermon, and, and then we go on. Oh, that we would search the scriptures that we would understand. But if you do not believe his writing, how will you believe my word? Again, Jesus goes right back and says, if I testify about myself alone, then you can take it or leave it. But Moses, who you idolize, testified of me. You won't believe me. You don't believe Moses. Now that's where I'm going to get it into a little meddling. I want to first start with people who claim to be believers. The scripture I read this morning, two verses aligns salvation. It's in other places like Ephesians chapter 2, for you've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that anyone should boast. We have now gone through five chapters of the Gospel of John. In every chapter, several times, it says the way you get eternal life is faith in Jesus. Never once does it say that your faith in Jesus plus your good little boy or girl gets you into heaven. It is never faith plus anything. It is faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. But you will hear people say, there's no way for that, that you've got to do something, that you've got to earn something, that you've got to accomplish something for God to be impressed. Either you've got to accomplish it or you've got to flagellate yourself. You've got to beat up yourself because you're not worthy. You've got to do something to earn God's love. And the point is, there is nothing you can... That's what grace is. Unmerited favor. So there are these people who claim to be Bible scholars who will talk about 
that you must do something, that you must be baptized or you must take communion or you must go on a holy trip or you got to do certain things and you can never swear and you can never, you know, go to a bad movie and you can't play movie cards and you, all these things you can't do. Let me give you a secret. We are saved by faith. How do I know that I've been saved? How do I know that I have grace? Because I have faith. My faith is not blind. I believe the testimony of Jesus and the other witnesses. My faith is not blind because I see me kicking and screaming, but he is sanctifying me. He's making me more holy. Now, I ain't holy, and there's a long way, and I'm kicking and screaming while he's doing it, but he's the one who is going to accomplish my holiness. And not only am I saved, and not only am I becoming sanctified and holy, I am going to one day be glorified. Isn't that interesting? Everybody keeps seeking glory from each other when God says, no, no. Seek glory from me. I will glorify you. And if you've had any opportunity to have anybody say nice things about you, you know that those only last for a little time. Sometimes they only last for, you are a great person, but. So it didn't, it, it, not even a full sentence. And then and it's down. God is going to glorify us for eternity. Why should I care what you have to say? Well, I care, but not that much. It's what God has to say in you. So for those who think that you have to do something to earn salvation, the scriptures are going to accuse you because it was clear throughout these first five chapters that salvation is by faith in Christ. That eternal life is based on the faith in our Savior. Next group of people I want to talk to. You're not here, probably. You might be listening on radio. There's a, a lot of people who we look down on we believers because they think that our faith is, is illusory and it's blind and whatever. But if we had intelligence, if we were smart, then we would know that science has overcome our stupid faith and it knows all. First, let me be very clear. I'm not afraid of science. Science science is accurate. I don't have any faith in scientists who don't know what they're talking about, who come to the wrong conclusion, and that they will talk about their conclusions as if they're facts. So for instance, you'll see on the program about the age of the earth and the universe, and they won't say, we believe that the earth is 3 billion years old. They'll say, the earth is 3 billion years old. I'm looking forward to the day when God tells them, like Job, where were you when I created the heavens? And They speak as if they know. I, 
this is where I'm preaching and, and I, and whatever. And I may be a little outside because I don't have an exact quote, but I'm going to give you, there's going to be a time when people who have put their faith in astronomy and astrophysics, when they, those disciplines will accuse them because you came to the wrong conclusion. The heavens and the stars declare the glory of God. And you said it just happened. And those who are geologists, who are convinced that it took millions and billions of years for the earth to be made and formed, will accuse you because you came to the wrong conclusion and you worship the rock rather than the creator. Those who are biologists and microbiologists and zoologists and marine biologists and all of the other biologies who think that we all just kind of showed up and we evolved into whatever, the day of judgment, those disciplines are going to accuse you because you came to the wrong conclusion. Because God made it evident that he was the creator. I'm not going to leave alone the mathematicians and the statisticians. You think your math and your statistics will prove whatever. Those disciplines will accuse you in the day of judgment because you came to the wrong conclusion. Philosophers, oh, I love philosophers. They think they're Lilliputian ropes. While Lilliputian ropes may have tied down Gulliver, the Lilliputian ropes of, of philosophers cannot limit the power of God. They say it's impossible for anything outside of natural things to happen. Therefore, I ruled it out. And so God rules them out. My last group that I want to talk about, computer nerds. We are so enamored with artificial intelligence. Now I'm going to tell you more than I know. My understanding of artificial intelligence is just a bunch of data. You put a bunch of data in a computer, and because of the speed of, of, of electrons and all that, it can go through and come up with an answer faster than we can, perhaps because it has a bunch of data. Unfortunately, in our world today, it seems that people have less and less data in their head. Ask the average person who was the first president, and they have no clue. Because I think we all think our smartphone phones will tell us. Well, unfortunately, our smartphone phones are smarter than we are. But I don't care how intelligent you make artificial intelligence. God gave you intelligence, and God gave you the opportunity to acquire wisdom. Artificial intelligence may become intelligent, but it won't necessarily be wise. And I suspect 
for all the computer nerds out there, that even artificial intelligence will say, you are stupid to rely on me. You should have got wisdom from the guy who's judging you now. So religious people seem to, if they search the scriptures, don't seem to come up with the right answer. Non-religious people in their smugness think they're brilliant. God is God over all. He will obtain glory. And even those who are convinced that God had nothing to do with it and there is no God and the earth was formed three billion years ago, that person will kneel confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the God of God. You see, we read the scriptures, not to read the scripture, but to understand who God is and what he has done. And our God has done a mighty work that can be reduced Two sentences. Confess Jesus is Lord with your mouth. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart, with the all of who you are, faith results in righteousness. And with confession results in salvation. The demons don't just believe that there is a God. They know there is. And they bow in fear and tremble before his presence. And to do everything that they can to delay that. Faith, confession, results in salvation. God said, believe my son whom I sent. And if you believe him, you believe me. If you don't believe him, then you don't believe me. Pretty simple. Not that complex. I don't think we need artificial intelligence to tell us. We just need to read a few chapters. And all God's people said, 